glad to have Pastor Moses with us here this morning, and one of the elders from Sayout Assembly of Praise, uh, Willard, is with us this morning to share. And so I'd just like to take this opportunity to invite them up and uh, to share with us. And as they come, I'll pray for them. I'm sure all of you know Pastor Moses. If you don't, um, you'll uh, you'll get a chance to hear from him uh, during our service uh, just now. But also, uh, he will be he and Willard will be downstairs for the Sunday Life Group time uh, after uh, after our service here. So uh, that's that's open. So a number of the adult and the youth classes will be joining. And so if you weren't planning to, uh, but you'd like to hear more from uh, from Pastor Moses and Willard, you can uh, join us downstairs for the Sunday Life Group time. It'll be a it'll be a good time to uh, hear a little bit more, a little bit more in detail about what uh, what they're doing, some of the challenges, and some of the the things that they are praising God for, and also a chance to uh, to ask some questions and get to know them a little bit better. So uh, these are folks that uh, that we know and we've had a long relationship with, and so you have this opportunity today to uh, to get to hear a little bit more from them. So just before they come and share, let me uh, let me pray for them. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to hear what you are doing in uh, at, at Sayout, to hear what, how you are at work in the lives of uh, of these two of your sons. And Lord, uh, we commit them to you and pray that as they share, as they open God's word uh, for us today, that uh, we would receive all that you have for us. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. So my loving brother, uh, Willard, and uh, dear elder from Sayout, and he's going to share his testimony first, and then I will share my message this morning. So please welcome Brother Willard. Good morning. Um, I was going to get a translator this morning. (laughs) Nicole. But she said, I don't need a translator. <laughs> and anyway, um, I, I love God. And um, because he loved me first. And um, I was brought up in a residential school all my life, young life. And in the residential school, there was a lot of abuse, sexual abuse mental abuse, emotional abuse, and spiritual abuse. And um, we didn't get really to know the, you know, like school itself. And we just had to really attend attend the school from grades one to grade eight. I was in Cooper Island. That's where I experienced all the sexual abuse and and all the physical abuse. And, you know, I'll just talk a little bit of the sexual abuse. And as a young man, a young boy, and um, I was sexually abused. And and, uh, it was very, very, very hard for me to... uh, you know, to be feel human after that. 
It was like for me when I was inside looking out. And then when I finally got out, everybody was inside. So I was outside looking in. And stuff like that was hard for me to fit in and, and, you know, fit in the world, fit in the society. And uh, so I grew up like that, hating. I was just... I grew up, you know, I didn't know love. There was no love in in the school. And uh, we were just trapped, whipped, beating just about every other day. So I grew up like that for eight years and in the residential school. And then we went home for the summer holidays like that. But you know, some people stayed in the residential school because they had no parents and I was one of those that had to stay in the residential school in, in the summer holidays. So I didn't get to go sometimes. But anyway, that's uh, the physical abuse. I experienced that and I grew up hating. I grew up wound up real tight and I was, you know, I didn't want to get strapped anymore. I didn't want to get hit anymore. and. Uh, so I grew up, you know, that I wanted to, you know, get even. And then um, I went to another residential school in St. Mary's in Missions. And um, from grades 9 to grade uh, 12, and it was the same thing. But uh, there, uh, I got a job during the summer holidays, which I made money. And, uh, you know, I didn't really care about money back in then. I was just away from the residential school. <clears throat> but I made uh, like 300 bucks a month when I was 15 years old. And uh, my money got sent to the residential school. And, you know, my paycheck. Well, I went to the residential school. And um, I went, uh, you know, I was whipped and strapped and beaten. So one day, with my money I got, I went and bought a case of beer. And I was just telling my granddaughter about that where where she practiced her dances. I said, uh, right in there next door, that's where I got kicked out of school. And there was the, I took my case of beer there, and I drank, and I drank. <laughs> I was beyond whipped and beating. I couldn't, you know, I was way beyond that already. And I had a meaner that was, uh, you know, not fit for this world. I grew up like that, and um, when I grew up and uh, left the high school, I was talking about uh, emotional, you don't know love, you don't know, you can't experience crying, you know, when it's time to cry, all that's gone. And you don't experience any other emotion. 
Anyone experience smiling or just being hugged by some people? And uh, when I was growing up and I adopted my two little girls, my little girl came up to me and hugged me. And um, I pushed her away. I said, you don't ever come and do that ever again, you know. I was really harsh with my language, the way I spoke then. Um, today I don't speak like that, but today, you know, um, it's hard for me to speak the way I used to. But anyways, I told her not to ever do that again. And um, weeks went by and finally my wife said, go read it to your, to your grandchildren. And so I did. And the same thing happened again. She came and wrote my little girl, Sybil. That's her auntie. And then um, she came and hugged me again. And I said, you don't ever do that to me again. I pushed her away. And then um, one day she got... Uh, something happened to her in school and she had a immune disease that her body couldn't fight it anymore so she passed away and um, you know I had this feeling she's the only person that ever came to hug me and you know I was getting used to her hugs and today I can hug anybody because of her, because she came and hugged me. I can hug my own people. I can hug Chinese people, Korean people, any other people, white people, you know? And uh, I can smile, but uh, my little girl, she taught me how to hug. So I can, I'm able to hug people now. I don't, I don't push away. But anyway, that's emotional and uh, physical. I was being strapped every day. And mental, when I, while I was being strapped every day, they said I was never going to be enough amounting to anything. So you're just a savage. You're just a, a no good person. You're a burden to the government. This is while I was getting strapped. So that's played deeply on my mind that I was going to be a nothing, you know, when I grew up. So we were like that. There were Every time we got strapped, this is what happened. This is where it took place. And those were thick straps. They weren't little. You know, they used our whole body weight to come down and, and you would be kneeling down on the floor like that in front of them and they would strap you. And sometimes when I used to get strapped really vigorously, real hard, I used to move my hand like that. And they used to strap themselves on the thigh. And, uh, you know, I used to really enjoy that. So i go like that. <laughs> i go like that once in a while. But when you do that, they strap you longer and harder. So I had to stick up my hand and get the rest of it. And it wasn't a, long, a short strap. We used to strap you long and hard 
And, and um, not only when I used to get strapped, there was other people, other students. And when I used to hear them crying, I used to get mad, you know. I used to shout at them, shut up, you know. I used to get at that because I couldn't take them crying anymore. Today it's hard for me to cry. And when my when my mom passed away, you know, everybody in the church was crying, and, and I looked around, and I wasn't crying. I said, what's wrong with me? And I looked around, and I said, oh, there must be a bunch of, uh, you know, the way I spoke back then, there were a bunch of BSers. You know, they don't know what they're doing. I thought it was all baloney. And um, my sister passed away, the same thing happened. But when my little girl passed away, I tried to cry. You know, like a a devilish sound came out of me. <laughs> but that was that was horrible noise that came out of me. And since then, I haven't been able to cry. But that's another emotion that we experience as uh, residential school survivors. There, um, I'm not the only one that's like that. But. Uh, I have, and that's physical, mental, and sexual abuse I spoke on. And um, I have a forgiveness, forgiveness testimony. And um, this concerns my little girl, Sybil. She's the only one that ever hugged me. Then she passed away. And uh, we were down in California. She flew her down to California to get a kidney transplant. And uh, she passed away down there, but we flew back. And we got the best casket for her. It wasn't my pick, and I wanted to pick it, the, the cheapest one casket. But that guy at the funeral home, he says, uh, pick this one, pick this one. He kept on going like that. I said, we don't even have enough money for anything like that. Real expensive. And I told him, we don't have enough money. And then he came real close to me and he whispered to me, um, it's already paid for. Pick this one, he says. And so I picked the most expensive casket for her. But when I got home, I was no emotion, no love, nothing. I was just, you know, existing. And I just sat there, laid there, didn't talk to anybody. Somebody even even took a picture of me, and I just, I was nothing there, nothing in my eyes. And then the voice came to me and told me, um, do you forgive now? And I said, I looked around and looked around in the room. There's only me in the room. And I looked up and I didn't, I just, I didn't think about it anymore. And, and I continued on my depression and my sadness and my emotionless life 
And the voice came back to me and said, do you forgive? And I looked around, yeah, I forgive, I said that. And I yelled out, I forgive. And then days after that, you know, things started to happen in my life and I began to feel a little bit better, I feel good. I got a new house, new jobs. I kept on getting jobs left and right. And things happen when you forgive. And um, when you forgive, the judgment goes back to God. You know, God's going to take care of it. They're in God's hands now. And he has the revenge that that I carried. And one thing else I had to forgive was myself. And for for a long time, I didn't forgive myself, you know, because um, I harbored all these feelings that I wanted to, you know, even kill, you know, kill those people. I wanted to pay them back. I wanted to experience the hurt they hurt me with. And I wanted to do everything, you know, that uh, I lived in prison all my life, my young life. I lived in every kind of prison, from down the States, in the New West, in Victoria, you know, just wasn't anywhere I was in prison all my young life. And, you know, I didn't care what happened to me, I didn't care what I did to other people, if I killed any other people. I didn't care. And um, <clears throat> so that's how I grew up. I, you know, then I, I got married, had children. You know, um, I didn't know how to be a parent to them. You know, I lost two of my boys now. And, um, you know, that was, first of all, I lost my wife. And I went into a deep depression, deepest hole you ever could think of, you know, like a depression that was like going down. And I was right at the bottom of it. And I was satisfied just to be there. I don't want to move. I don't want to experience anything. I don't want to hear voices. You know, I was there. I was there for years. And then finally I said to the Lord, I'm ready to get out of here now. I told him, you know. I said, I'm ready to go. You know how the Red Sea parted? It's like my depression parted like that. And I walked right out in the middle of my depression. And just as I was getting out, he said, uh, I said to him, I felt really good. I felt, you know, I felt strong. I felt different. You know, I was walking out, you know, I was walking out of my depression. And um, I said, uh, give me a mountain. <laughs> that's, how, that's how strong I felt. And when you accidentally say that to him, to God, he'll give you a mountain. And I got a, I got a girl. A lady, young lady, she was a street people, and um, I didn't know her name, 
And God just whispered in my head, Camille. Camille. And I said, I don't know Camille, you know. And I gave this little girl a ride to the store. And she started telling me her about her wretched, stinking life. And uh, her name was Camille. I said, are you? You're Camille. And I said that to her. She says, yeah, I'm Camille. But that's my name. And all the way up to the store, all the way back down to where we were going, she just told me about her stinking life, her abuse and everything. So, from that, that was the first day. And I laughed all the way up to the store, all the way back, because she was telling me all about her life. And and, uh, I'm not a counselor. You know, and then I stayed with her for a couple of years. So she called me up three o'clock in the morning to come and get her. And I would go over and pick her up wherever she was. Sometimes she just had a blanket around her and she was running away. And every time she would tell me about her life, I'd just laugh. And then finally one day she said, how come you're laughing at my life? Am I so funny? She said, and I looked at her and said, no. That's the way I lived my life before. You're telling me all the things that, you know, happened to me. And she shut up and she went on about her ugly life. So that went on. So that's, and God made me forget about my depression I was in, you know, about my wife. So I just went down for years and she went to, uh, finally she went to a healing center. She showed me a picture, sent me a picture of herself reading the Bible. And uh, that's part of my story. And um, I have a, that's the road kill forgiveness. And I've uh, no, that's a forgiveness testimony. I have a roadkill and testimony. And so, um, do you know what it is when you see animals laying on the road? You know, rabbits, deers, and you know when you go travel somewhere, you see all dead rabbits. Dead squirrels and stuff, dead birds. Well, I was one of them. I was hit by a car and I was laying beside the road. And um, the car was going 120 miles an hour. And uh, I was hit by that car. And I've been in a coma for. Uh, three weeks, but I was dead at 120 miles an hour, and I went straight to hell because of my lifestyle. I didn't know God. I didn't know love, and then uh, I was loved by God, you know, because He loved me, and He sent His only Son, Jesus. Because he has the keys 
of hell, and he knows the way out of hell. So when I was down there in hell and I was suffering like the rest of them, I was in pain and turmoil and something that I cannot speak about because it was too horrible. And was this guy came and I seen him, so I, I rushed to him and he didn't look at me, he just walked. Wherever he walked, I walked because it was nice and cool. He's draft, he's draft with a cool air draft and his fragrance smelled really good and I followed him. And he led me all the way out of hell. And I looked on either side of me. I could see all the people in the, you know, suffering. Then I looked way in the rain in front because I was getting really hungry. And I thought Jesus was going to feed me. This man in front of me was walking. And he was walking towards that, I thought it was a pot roast and a turnigan. And, um, oh, maybe he's going to feed me, I figured. And we walked closer and closer and closer till we got there. And he was right here, that, that roast. And I looked at it, and I knew that person. He was getting roasted on the turn again. It was a person. It wasn't a roast. And so, uh, I just, looked away right away and I followed Jesus. So I followed him and he led me to a water and then I was in this water and I didn't see Jesus anymore. And I went straight up, up and up and up and up until I reached the top of the water and and I looked over to my left and uh, there was a real beautiful girl there, beautiful lady, and I, I thought I was in heaven. And I kept on looking at her because I had a broken neck, and I couldn't, you know. And uh, I just looked and looked, and she opened her eyes and looked at me, and she came running over, and she told me that I was in the hospital, and I was in the hospital. Because I, I didn't know where I was at, because I thought I was really in heaven. Because when you come from hell, anything above, where above hell, above hell is looks like heaven to me. And so um, she said I was in the hospital, and uh, you know I had to learn how to talk. I had to learn how to walk again. And um, it took me for years to get walking, get talking again. But today I can run, I can canoe pool. You know, my daughter canoe pools, my granddaughter. You know, I'm able to do this. But it, uh, it's not me, it's God. <laughs> he, is, he is able. And when I'm not able, he comes in there. And did you hear the 
the footprints in the sand. Uh, he carried me. And he's still carrying me now, you know, as I'm speaking. As I am a child of God now. But uh, I have another testimony, a love testimony. You know, God loved me first. You know, because of his love, his love is right here. And here's me right over here. He sent the love over here to me. And down here, my wife, she passed away. And where does that love go? That my wife, I had for my wife. So it went back to God. So I call Jesus God. He's my honey, my sweetheart. He's everything. Whether I call my wife, I called her. I loved her. And I called her my honey, my sweetheart, my baby. You know, and um, no, Jesus, Jesus, he's my baby now. I love him. I love him so much. And um, that's a little love story. I'm putting, I'm cutting this off a little short, but Moses got to speak for her. And, um, <clears throat> but what I'm going to talk about is that, you know, God forms you and shapes you. And he wants you to be his masterpiece. You know, the words that you come out of your mouth and the word is God. And when you distribute this word to other people, he's going to shape you and mold you and he's going to mold you the way he wants you to be. You know, more like Jesus to pray, to heal. You know, you can heal people. And, you know, I pray for people. People come to me and ask for prayers. And um, I'm a residential school survivor. And God says, I'm able to pray, to be like Jesus, to walk in his footsteps. Like Jesus, so you can pray for people that come with you to, with cancer, that come with you to have flesh-eating disease, and they're in the hospital with kidney diseases, and you pray for them, and what's going to happen? Because he loves you so much that you stood in the middle of, for them, that he's going to answer you. He's going to heal you know, the people, the people who, who helped me quite a bit are blessed. They receive blessings. Pastor Moses, he's helped me tremendously and um, to get where I am today because, you know, I see Pastor Moses throughout the community. He's working hard. He's doing this and doing that, and I'm trying to get a hold of him. He's off somewhere. A busy man, you know. Another pastor, busy, you know. This is the way God is. He's going to shape you and mold you and 
you know, he's going to do a lot of stuff for you, and before you know it, you're a masterpiece. Yeah, that's what he wants from you. He runs away back there. That's where I used to sit way in the back. You know, now I sit over here. But he's going to do things, and all you have to do is say yes, 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 and that's what he says to me: yes, yes. Yes, because I'm a child of God now. Can we sing it, sing about it? And every Sunday we sing these songs. And uh, when he asks you to do something, I am here. I will part the Red Sea for you. If you cross, cross the Jordan, you know, if you go across there, and... Um, God will do a lot for you, son. I'm a child of God. He'll do everything for you. You know, I may not have much money, but, you know, I get to places. You know, he sends me places. He sends me down to California. I was broke. And then he sent me down there. How did I get down there? God, I don't know how he, how he does it, but he managed to do that. He sent me up to Alaska. I was broke too, no money. All you have to do is say yes, 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 and just leave it to him. He'll do it for you. I don't have any food, and he gives you a lot of food, more food than you can handle. And uh, he gives the clothes. I don't have much clothes, but you know, God's the one that. It says I read in the Bible. You give her, you'll clothe me. But, uh, anyway, he wants to shape you, mold you. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to call him his baby. And uh, he's my baby. And, um, he loves you very, very much. Right? <laughs> Nicole? Nicole was uh tell you a little bit about Nicole, Nicole there. You know, and I was uh I used to lay in bed and I used to squirm around in pain, you know. I was I couldn't sometimes I used to roll off my bed in pain. But since I met Nicole I've been rolling around in laughter. You know, it's so funny. Uh, today, uh, you know, I can smile, I can do things, uh, feel happy, you know. So this, the Lord's going to put, put a good feeling in your soul. And uh, you're going to accomplish many things that you think you don't want to accomplish, but He's going to put you on a trail where you can be a accomplisher like David. You know, David was a couple. You know, he took his mountain, big mountain away. Actually, he sent me back to school, college. And I said, no, I don't want to go to college. You know, I'm a residential school survivor. I hate buildings of, that, that look like residential schools. I hate them. And he took the word hate out of my but anyway, I didn't want to go to school. School, 
I resisted for years. And then finally I said, okay, I'll go to school. They sent me to school, college. So I got a teacher's assistant, you know, uh, with a certificate. I got my certificate. And uh, so that's what he's able to do, you know, things that you don't want to do, you do them. Things that you used to do, you don't do them. Do the things that you don't want to do, you know. That's what God was telling me, puts those words in my mind. Say, come on, get away from me, you know. I used to react like that, get away from me. Now, today, I listen to him when he talks. And he, so, he says, he wants you to be a leader. Don't be a follower. And I used to be a follower. And uh, tough times never last. Only tough people do. So I'm just going to hand it over to Pastor Mosin now. I'm running over time here. Thank you. Um, because time limited, so uh, I don't want to preach anymore because you heard from him all the messages that I need to share because God is amazing God. And he didn't have any emotion after the residential school thing. But now he can smile, he can cry, he can hug because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now new being, new creation in Christ. That's amazing God. He changed his life. So he changed our life too. So I'm so thankful for his mercy and his love, his changing power. And his endurance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the bringing Brother Willard that you changed his life for your glory. Father God, you changed our lives too for your own glory. Father God, help us to be your servants wherever you go, we go, wherever we stand. Father God, Make us your children, your servant, your masterpiece. Thank you, your love for us. Thank for invitation from this church. So, Father God, bless VCBC, all the members. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.